G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the almost round five review episode. And if you're wondering why we're going before uh, the Easter, Big Easter Monday game, that's what we do. We are a Sunday night and Wednesday morning podcast. So that is what we do. And don't worry, uh, Hawk and Cat fans, we will wrap up your big game in full detail in our midweek episode. But eight other games to talk about in depth. Uh, as always, we are proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season thanks to Palmerbet. Uh, remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Robert Shaw. How are you going, Shorey? Good evening, Rowan. How are you? Uh, I've been happier. I've, <laughs> I've just watched my team cop an absolute belting, but we'll get to that later in the piece. Well, we should you? be able to cover it. I went to the VFL today, so I missed ah. the bigger game. Yeah, I, I I like looking at that. So I popped down to uh, Port Melbourne, then came home and listened to the Fremantle lesson game on the radio. So you might have to guide me through. Yes, uh, the, that tale anyway. of woe, of course. Uh, no, we, let's not be one-sided about it because uh, a lot to be excited about if you are a Fremantle supporter. So five rounds, uh, well, just about done. It's almost a quarter of the way through the season. Still one undefeated team. Those Demons, boy, they are looking red hot, undefeated on top. There are then five teams with a 4-1 record, and that team I just spoke of, Fremantle, they are second on the ladder and flying. So well done, Justin Longmuir and co. Brisbane looking pretty strong in third. St Kilda having a great season after struggling in round one. And uh, then the rest of the eight made up by Sydney, Carlton, Geelong and Collingwood. Uh, you have to say, Rob, there's a few names among that top eight we perhaps didn't expect to see there at this stage even. Yeah, you're right. Quarter away, well done to Fremantle and St Kilda. We hear a lot about uh, woe is me at particular clubs with injuries, but... Um, if you care to cast your mind on uh, St Kilda's injury list, it's quite significant. And, of course, Fremantle have had to put up with the daily, daily uncertainty of uh, COVID protocols together with their crosstown neighbour. Fremantle haven't been hit as hard, but they've had their coach, you know, locked away. They've had injuries and both those clubs are going very, very well. And let's not forget Carlton too with that 4-1 record. Uh, another close shave today, but they got over the line. So uh, credit to them as well. All these games we'll talk about in full, graphic, vivid, incisive detail. Let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. The big Easter round of football kicked off last Thursday evening at the Gabba with what is a uh, now traditional clash, um, Good Friday Eve, between Brisbane and Collingwood. And it was a great game and a close game, an exciting game. Uh, Collingwood certainly uh, putting their best foot forward. Brisbane at home, 
getting the chocolates, but only just by seven points. The final scores, Brisbane, 15 8 98 defeating the Magpies, 14-7-91. The goals, four to Big Joe Danaher, three to Bailey, singles the rest. And again, a good spread of goal kickers, 10, I think, individually for the Lions. For the Pies, four to Dugowie. Classy player is Dugowie. Two to Kruger, two to McInnes, two to Moore, and singles the rest. Well, Brisbane had uh, fewer inside 50s, Rob, 53 to 62. But that forward line, very potent, uh, good array of goal kickers, just enough class to uh, get it over the line and make it four wins from five for the Lions. Absolutely no friends lost by the Pies, particularly in a, a great last quarter. They slammed on five goals to the Lions, three in the last quarter to make Brisbane fight every inch of the way for another win at home. How did you see this one? Well, the seven-point win sort of crept up. On you because you actually felt that Brisbane were pretty much in control. Collingwood did have a last quarter, but I think would they have kicked the last two or three? Uh, they did kick the last couple, yeah. Yeah, to make it look a little better. Um, you've made a very good point about less inside 50s. Once again, we talk about the basic uh, coaching philosophy of Brisbane and Chris Fagan, and it's understandable. You, we always speak about this multi-dimensional attack. This week it was Danaher again and um, young uh, young Bailey. Mm. Next week it'll be Cameron and McCarthy. So why not get the ball in quickly? Collingwood relied on their handball and their run and their aggressive approach. You know, McRae spent a lot of time at Richmond. So that forward handball, that quick pace run on. So I enjoy watching these two teams because of the change of styles. Interesting, Rowan, you know, I know you've got it there right in front of you in your stats book. When was the last time someone's played five blokes 200 centimetres and above? <laughs> and, and, look, it's not a blue. I'm just saying it interest. Well, is it a blue? Like, that to take him off and get Noble on. It's in Brisbane. It's humid. It's dewy. Gee, they went in with a big side. They did, um, perhaps a, an overreaction to the undermanned forward line. This is why I give the Pies some credit. They are missing without Majacek, who was kept out with health and safety protocols. Jamie Elliott, of course, uh, they're without him for the next three months. But um, I thought I thought the uh, the lesser whites, Kruger and McInnes, you know, had um, had their moments and, and gave a, a bit of a contest down there. But it might have been a bit of a an overreaction to missing those key targets. And they certainly, they probably did look a bit tall in the finish, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. The interesting the interesting one for me, uh, for me, and it was a good move. I liked the move of um, Pendlebury to Neil yep. early. You know, smart around, you know, the smartest player in the competition against one of the most dangerous around stoppages. And then for Pendlebury to move off him. I haven't seen an answer as to why that stopped after quarter time. Neil had four at quarter time and went had 14 mm -hmm. in the second quarter after they dropped the tag. I've looked. Uh, there's been no real explanation other than... And then, of course, um, they went on and kicked six goals, didn't they, in that second quarter on yep. the back of Neil's dominance. So you've you got to call it the way you see it without inside knowledge that they had him covered, they let him go, and there was an immediate, re an immediate response. 
Yeah, well, 14 of Neil's 33 disposals came in that second quarter. Mm. And you're quite right. It was the pivotal quarter of the game. They kicked six. They six. kicked three in each of the other three quarters and six in that one. That was where they set up the victory. So, uh, look, I, I guess, you know, you, you're sacrificing a bit by turning Pendles into a, a run with player, aren't you? I guess uh, it probably came down to an equation of we can't, we don't have enough manpower or firepower to sacrifice that much of one of our best ball users. And that that's probably what it comes down to in the end, I would have thought. Yeah, a, a couple of special mentions here. I, I thought uh, we're watching the TV, Rowan. So on that outer wing, the far wing from us watching TV, I thought Mitch Robinson played a mighty game. Mm. Um, there's, there's a lot more talent in that team than Mitch Robinson. But his attack on the footy, his work rate and his endeavour up and down the ground. You know, there's a great article during the week on the on the unsexy wing role. I, I, I'm saying it was a great article um, and they spoke about Ed Langdon at Melbourne. Yeah. I, I think it's a position that you and I used to, uh, you know, love looking at. Flower, Greg, Schimmelbush. Hawkins. Uh, Hawkins, Turner. Yeah. Right. But it, the old wing spot, she's coming back a bit because it's important that these outside players, not as in a frail outside players, but their positioning in the way the game transitions up and down, that they work back into defence. I, I, I think, um, and again, Langdon this week, Mitch Robinson was great. And the last one, of course, just to confirm what we said. Efficiency, why not get it into this multi-talented forward line? Um, Brisbane, 50% efficiency going inside forward, 50, and the uh, the Pies, 33%. It could be the tail of the tape at the end of the day, but uh, no friends lost, but uh, a good, solid, serviceable performance by Brisbane. Well, so many... Um... So many uh, chances. I, I guess you got to you got to make them count. I, I just I'm a bit thrown by you talking about Mitch Robinson and sexy in the same sentence. So there's a, an oxymoron. I think is the uh, the word. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Mitch Robinson. Uh, the wing position is unsexy. Was yeah. the quote in the uh, in the paper? Well, yeah. it's, it's all about work rate, isn't it? And um, mm. uh, Mitch Robinson certainly has a, a huge work ethic, and, and ditto Ed Wangden, and that's why. Um, they're both succeeding in that role. Um, of course, the Pies, big game for them next Monday, the big Anzac Day clash with the Bombers and uh, Brisbane just continuing to bowl along pretty nicely. They are in third spot on the ladder and they've got the uh, Q clash next week against the Suns at Metricon Stadium with all due respect to Gold Coast. I think Brisbane will start a very healthy favourite in that one. So... Any concerns for the Pies? Rowan, just finishing off. Uh, a, lot, a little bit of publicity on Grundy. Grundy's performance or lack of lack of influence? Well, it depends what you're Arkins. up against. I, yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, without getting ahead of ourselves and throwing to preview mode, um, I'd still be backing Brody Grundy against his Essendon opposition at this stage. And uh, that opposition, well, who knows what it's going to be because Andrew okay. Phillips did a hamstring today for the Bombers. So uh, whether that means uh, Draper going solo or uh, a Nick Bryan or, or someone coming in, who knows? Anyway, we will find out. But good win in the end to Brisbane. That was uh, Thursday evening. And unlike the old days when uh, there was a 
dearth of football on Good Friday. In fact, a lot of us used to call it the most boring day of the year. We had two games to watch this year, so let's talk about them. Another what has become traditional Good Friday clash, North Melbourne up against the Western Bulldogs. Well, it wasn't the 128-point belting that uh, was produced in this equivalent game last year, but it was a belting, nonetheless, to the tune of 68 points. The Western Bulldogs, 21-13, 139, smashing North Melbourne, 11-5-71. The goal kickers, uh, two, Mercurial Bulldog forward, shared 10, Aaron Norton, five, and Cody Waitman, five. Marcus Bondapelli, three, two to Scott, singles the rest for the Roos. Bit of a lone hand up forward by Nick Larkey, who kicked four, two to Taylor, and singles the rest. Well, uh, let's call a spade a shovel here, Rob. This game was absolutely done and dusted by quarter time when the scores read the Bulldogs, 8-3-51, North Melbourne, one goal straight, Six points all over, she wrote, and uh, so it proved after that 13 goals to 10 for the rest of the game. It was basically just a holding mission. Uh, probably the most noteworthy thing from the Bulldogs' perspective, the scoreline, 21-13. Thank God for that, uh, following up those yeah. ridiculous scorelines of the previous two games, 7-19 and 9-17. Uh, gee, they had good players all over the park. I mentioned the two. Goal kickers, but uh, Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet, he had a ripping game. Uh, 43 disposals, a personal best, six inside 50s. He had 646 metres gained. Didn't seem to have a lot of opposition at times. Uh, Jack Zebel um, kicked a goal early in the piece, but uh, not the same sort of impact he had for the Ruse last week up in Sydney. And look, it was, uh, I won't say boys against men, but it was a, a pretty accomplished, pretty experienced side up against the side without nearly as much manpower and a lot more inexperience and a lot of work to do. And the game pretty much played out like that, wouldn't you say? Well, it did, mate. And some of the highlights, or um, the, uh, well, the low light to me was the, um, the, the just the pure lack of pressure that uh, North came, came with in the first uh, quarter. Um, uh, uncontested marks at one stage in that first quarter were 35 to 8. Wow. And and it was quite an extraordinary to hear David Noble say that they didn't give the ball back to us. I know what he means, but maybe sometimes, you know, that's saying we didn't bring our pressure game to take the ball back off them, um, which resulted in four to Waitman and the luxury. They've just made a few, a few tactical um, adjustments um, I think Liberatore's move, I thought he was terrific. He's gone back into the engine room. Uh, McRae was there before he got subbed out for a while. And Bailey Smith, as you mentioned, has gone from an out-and-out -out winger and now into the midfield. Um, and it's allowed Bontempelli this unique role of uh, being a six-foot-four full forward. You know, he's... He, he's and... Um, he really unbalanced them early. Uh, they went they went pretty tall. They went with Cordy, Bontempelli, Ugel Hagen and Norton. So they were very, very confident of getting the ball in there because generally their entries have been pretty poor and that's one of the reasons they've been very inaccurate. 
They haven't had shots for goal from really great spots. Um, four goals, six in entries. Like they were nearly going a goal an entry, which is great for them. They moved the ball beautifully, but also an indictment on the pressure that North Melbourne did not bring. It did look like, didn't it? I thought in that first quarter, it really looked like North thought, okay, we put in the hard yards last week, gave a, gave a great four-quarter contest. Uh, the ball's rolling now. Let's just go on with it. And, uh, and you know, when they sort of got a hold of it and managed to, to get things back, um, it, it was gone. I mean, look, having said this, they did... It was five goals to two in the second quarter. So they did manage to recover yeah. a bit of their equilibrium. But I don't care. Even, even you know, four goals down at halftime. North aren't going to beat the Western Bulldogs when they're four goals down at halftime, not in their current state. Not that there aren't pluses to the ruse. And I think it's, you know, it's pretty obvious, but two big ones are the hyphens. And that's uh, Luke Davies Uniac and Jason Horn Francis. And they are two class acts. Look, it's taken Davies Uniac a, a few seasons to f- get fully into the swing of it, but he started to make some decent inroads last year, and he appears to me to be going on with that. Um, 22 disposals handed up with 10 contested possessions, so his in, inside game is certainly developing as well. And Horn Francis, well, everyone said, you know, this guy's going to be a star straight away, and it, it looks like it. I mean, he's, you know, he's big-bodied. He, he, you know, plays like a, a man, not a kid. Um, and he's got great footy now. So, you know, those two are going to be terrific players for North. It's just a question of how many can they develop even in the same ballpark and how long does it take them to do it? But, uh, yeah, look, you can't be pleased with that start. And it's interesting to see how Noble internally uh, deals with that loss with the playing group because uh, I I reckon it's probably too easy for North to go, yeah, we got back into it in the second quarter and we got within – you know, been under five goals. Yeah, but you conceded eight goals to one in the first quarter and the, the result was done and dusted. So I, I'd be paying a bit more attention to that start. After five games, are you reading anything into the Goldstein more as a permanent forward, uh, as a backup Ruckman now, instead of leading this young midfield? Um, he's giving a lot of game time to Zeri, yep. who, who, who wasn't, the, by the way, wasn't the worst player on the ground mm. uh, and showed... Uh, showed promise, but are we reading too much into uh, in, into this with lack of Goldstein being the number one ruckman permanently? He, he, he thrives on work rate, doesn't he? He, he just does. goes from start to finish. And with a young midfield, maybe, and a young ruckman, maybe uh, they have to develop Zeri more as a forward and get Goldstein back in there. Use his strength and help this young blokes around the ball. Well, it's also a comment on how little support Nick Larkey really has, doesn't it? You know, and I it agree with that it. way too. You look at that way. Yeah. I, way. I agree about Goldstein. I mean, I, I remember he sort of came into his own as a ruckman when uh, Hamish McIntosh departed. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago now, but you know, he's, he's no spring chicken, Goldie. In fact, he turns 34 on the 1st of July. So, um, you know, well, I guess may, may have answered our own question. Or well, my own question. You've got to develop these guys uh, while you can. Just a quick one. Where where do we think the Western Bulldogs are at? It's a very good question. It's a simple question. Um, their percentage for until today, their percentage of entries per goals wasn't great, and they still do get um, 
goals kicked on against them for per entry into their forward line. There's some work to do on limiting entries and shutting down entries. Uh, we saw uh, Williams under a little bit of pressure at times. Larky took too many easy marks. I know he's a tall kid, but he made it look easy there at times. So if he's going to do that in a North Melbourne team, I think that's a real Achilles heel going forward for the Bulldogs, and that is their ability to limit opposition uh, goals from entries into their forward 50. Well, uh, I mean, we should remember too that after five games, they've still got a negative win-loss record. They're at 2-3, uh, 10th, but only by the same token, only outside the eight on percentage. So I guess the next few weeks pretty much make, well, not make or break this season. We've seen it do it from the bottom half of the eight before, haven't we? But yep. um, you'd certainly prefer to be in a position of strength. The uh, doggies next week, just as a matter of record, have Adelaide up in Ballarat at Mars Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Kangaroos, they have got Geelong. Uh, down in Tassie, that one, Blundstone Arena in Hobart on Sunday afternoon. So really good win there to the doggies, their second of this season. But that wasn't all a good Friday action because there was also a game over in Perth. Well, two great rivals of the mid-noughties, West Coast and Sydney, came head-to-head again, this one at Optus Stadium in Perth. And it was a very convincing win to the Swans. The final scores, 18-13-121, defeating West Coast, 9-4-58. Nobody, Franklin, for the Swans, but plenty of goal kickers stepping up in his absence. Three to Heaney and two each to McLean, McDonald. Haywood, Parker, Warner, singles the rest, uh, 11 individual goal kickers for the Swans. Pretty healthy return for the Eagles. Three to Ryan, two to Kennedy, and singles the rest. Uh, Pretty miserable scoreline at halftime for the Eagles at home. Just two goals straight. The Swans already 10-10, and the game put to bed by halftime. Look, I guess the major talking point out of this game, Rob, is uh, probably selection because West Coast, they've battled really manfully all season. Great win against Collingwood last week uh, with a score of kids. Well, and we, you see this happen a bit, don't you? The, the big names become available. They bring, uh, bring back in one hit the likes of Luke Shuey, Tim Kelly, Elliot Yo, um, and they got belted in the middle of the ground where it counted. Um, and uh, the Swans really ran all over them. In fact, City kicked 8-8 before the Eagles got their first goal and uh, talk about a dominant first half. Just have a, have a uh, feast your eyes or ears on these stats. Uh, the first half, Sydney won scoring shots 20-2. to two. The inside 50s were 39-10. to 10. Oh. 10 inside 50s for a half. Disposals, 206 to 157. Hitouts, 26 to 11. Contested ball, 81 to 55. That's all in a half of football. And you couldn't help but draw the conclusion that um, the Eagles got it wrong at selection. Too many guys, too underdone. Well, yeah, you're right. But who's going to knock back A-grade players? You know, Shuey, Kelly, Yo, and Cripps also came back, I think. And he's a very important part of that structure uh, in their forward line. So they put in a whole new midfield after a team that was so a meritorious victory the week before. And 
those, those figures, there haven't been anything like those figures this year. Mm. That, that's some of the most, you know, we just, just finished discussing the North Melbourne game. The, these are far more lopsided. This, you know, we sang Sydney's praises at the start of the year. We thought there would be a real chance for the top four and also push. Their, their dynamic play and multi-talented positional players, Heaney, wing, midfield, forward. And they just go through all their team of where they can turn up, where they can play. They haven't got a player now because they moved Kennedy back. They haven't got a player that can, you say, oh, he's locked into one position. They're rotating Florent and Haywood. Um, they've got these young, exciting Wagner, young, exciting players going through the midfield and, and horses not afraid to use these rotations and give them an opportunity in the midfield. They push forward. Parker got another two goals. So this Parker-Heaney combination is is destructive. Uh, Parker is, like the last couple of years, Parker's just played so well. I mean, I was just checking his age because it feels like he's older than he is, but he's still not 30. He's still 29. So he's playing fantastic footy. I love those kids, uh, Warner and um, McInerney, uh, my two boys. And I don't know, Peeney, uh, I, I did have a, a lazy look at the uh, Palmer bet odds for the Brownlow medal. Heaney, I think you can get him still at something like $21. So pretty good value. It's yeah, unusual for a player like that to win a Brownlow, obviously. He's not necessarily a huge possession getter, but boy, he certainly stands out. They're an exciting side. I love watching them play. I think they're um, they tick all the boxes in every part of the ground. Look, the Eagles. Um, Adam Simpson's argument on on playing the the bigger names was well, but we just got to get games into them. And I guess the feeling is that playing them at the le- the lower tier isn't really going to be a much benefit to them. And um, pretty hard to argue with that. Although I know uh, several Eagles supporters who are saying, well, you know, unless you're delusional, you realise that we are now in a a rebuilding phase, so shouldn't priority go to those younger guys you're trying to get games into? It's a difficult uh, equation sometimes, isn't it? Oh, well, I think the, the competition doesn't allow you to, to make that decision this early in round five. He is trying to tack on. Have they got two or one win? I think they've got two. Who? Uh, West Coast, where are they? No, just one. Just the one. They just got the Collingwood one. So they're going all out against a visiting team to get two wins and they would have been equal. I, I don't think they're the type of club. They've got too much pride, too much history to lay down this early, Rowan. And um, he wants to get games into those players. But th- those the Swans were just red hot. They're a brilliant side. And uh, have you got the, the fixture in front of you, Mark? I have. Who have they got next week, Sydney? Uh, Sydney next week uh, have Hawthorne. Uh, that one is uh, in Launceston, as a matter of fact, on oh, Anzac Day. So um, there's a couple of uh, couple of uh, Tassie games next week. Mm. All right, that'll be right. an interesting game for them. Um, and uh, an, an interesting player to follow. Got a game because Lance Franklin's out. Um, McDonald. He looks a very very exciting prospect. Got a couple of goals, I think, but it was the way he moved through the forward line, his ability on the ground, and also his agility. And McLean as well. I mean, uh, I think they're starting to dub that that pair the Big Macs. Um, 
But, uh, well, they returned four goals between them. I like what Will Hayward's doing these days too. He's, uh, he's um, I know it always sounds silly when you say this, he's taller than he looks, isn't he, Hayward? <laughs> I, th- I think he gives you good value up forward and he's always good for a couple of goals. Even uh, Ronke's an interesting one. He's sort of come back in and bobbed up with a goal here or there the last couple of weeks. So, look, they're an exciting side. They've got good players across all age groups and in all areas of the ground. You and I both agree they're going to play a very big role in how this season unfolds at the pointy end. West Coast, well, they've just got to, well, suffer the pain until the uh, the new, uh, hopefully, replacements for those great players that are getting to the end uh, come aboard and start uh, proving their worth. Is there a club that does the rebuild better or quicker than Sydney with these young players that are still... You know, the, the footy world's still learning who they are. Mm. And yet Sydney, I think, went to 16th. They bounced back and now, you know, they're top four material. And that's a that's an 18-month to two-year turnaround based on developing, playing and giving the opportunity in position to these young players. Yep. No, they they really have the best flock of young players in the competition and before anyone starts going on about academies and all this sort of stuff oh, you, no. you still got to develop them uh so re- a really good win to the swans and they've had some good wins over in perth certainly got the edge on the eagles these days but the eagles doing it pretty tough at the moment so that was good friday and then we moved to easter saturday Next game on the Easter menu was at Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon. It saw St Kilda up against Gold Coast and victory to the Saints, their fourth win in a row by 26 points, 13-9-87, defeating the Suns, 9-7-61. The goals, five to Jack Higgins. What a star he was for the Saints. Three to King. Again, multiple goals for the big key forward Two to Gresham, singles the rest. And for the Suns, two to Ainsworth, two to Corbett, singles the rest. Well, the midfield load pretty much shared around in this game. Rob, Jack Steele, Seb Ross, Brad Crouch, Jack Sinclair, all pretty prominent. Jade Gresham playing his milestone game, 100th. He was terrific with a couple of goals, 25 disposals, 10 contested possessions. Uh, Gold Coast, in that great win over Carlton last week, had been really good at the stoppages, but St Kilda did their homework and they won that statistic clearly. Kudos also to stand-in senior coach Brendan Wade, making it uh, five-zip now, the record of standing coaches <laughs> this season. I think people are, are people are clubs going to go out and try and get their coaches infected <laughs> with COVID because uh, it's a pretty good record now, but great fellow Brendan Wade, so well done, mate, on that one. Um, and look, Gold Coast, far from disgrace. St Kilda playing good footy at the moment. The Suns are only a goal down at halftime, gradually overpowered in the finish. Uh, maybe your child too had to go off with uh, an adductor injury, so that wouldn't have helped them either. But Sydney, uh, Sydney, St Kilda continuing, Rob, to get the job done. A couple of subtle changes, or not subtle changes, major changes for St Kilda. Um, Gresham coming back into that side and forming a lethal combination with Higgins. Higgins is a great story. Battled at the Tigers. He had brain surgery. And even after brain surgery, had issues with concussion. He's up and about in five goals. And also the thing I like is the use of Brad Hill. They used to use him wing back 
and give him the ball, feed it round the back to him. You know, that annoying round the back handball round, switch it out. Clubs were hammering him. What they're doing now is pushing him forward. So he's playing half forward. So instead of being behind the ball, he's playing in front of the ball and makes it a different kettle of fish for people to want to tag him or actually man him up because they're, how do I say this? Um, it's easy to follow him when he's down the back line, but when he's creative, running up to a stoppage, uh, running back on angles, it's a lot harder to curtail him. Just let me ask you this question too, because my observation of him this season is, and look, he ended up having a, an okay season last year. When you think about the amount of flack he was copying yeah, he at was. stages. But I think he looks like a better player for having gone through it. He looks like a more resilient player to me now, a player who can sort of put up with a bit more of the buffeting and the knocks and the and the annoying behaviour of opposition seeking to curb his output and just fight through it and continue to deliver a consistent performance. I reckon, well, I reckon it's been good for him almost. Well, he, 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 they relied so much on him setting up their ball movement out of the back line and now he's on the end of ball movement. So you're just seeing a hope, a, a total different mindset, a more creative player, a player that's very much harder to, to be tagged, and it's it's been a great move. So they've done some really good things, St Kilda. The other thing, you know, and their list injuries, list of injuries is significant, and on top of that, probably their most important or valuable player in Paddy Ryder um, was missing from this game. Um, St Kilda remained the number one to listen to this round, the remain the number one team in the competition at scoring when the ball is inside their 50. And you understand they've got King, they've got Membries, who's a good player, the two smalls we mentioned, mm. and then Marshall and uh, and Ryder when he's available. Yeah, so once again, I, I, I think it's a theme that's always been been there. But um, we're going to look at teams this year who are multi-pronged. Mm. We, we'll cover it later, but we saw what happened to Wright today. If you're the focal point and you get worked out, you don't touch it. Whereas up the other end, Tabernet kicks seven, Wright kicks a point. Uh, yeah, look, good point. I, th I think the other thing I'm thinking with St Kilda, and admittedly it's still only early days, but... I'm thinking that we we really need we as in the you know football um, commentariat need to start looking at performances of teams over a, a several year period because we, we do too much sort of waxing and waning dependent upon the immediate past. So St Kilda made the finals in 2020 and we oh they could be anything you know uh, <laughs> and then last year they were terrible and it was oh well they're gone you know they've now they're back their, they've shot their bolt on picking up senior players from other clubs now they're back. What is the real St Kilda? Well, um, you know, if you're looking at the time period 20 to 22, you would say that this is the the, the better version of St Kilda, isn't it? Um, so I think you need to be exactly. wary of that. I mean, I, you know, thinking, I'm, I guess in saying that, I'm thinking of the likes of, um, uh, you know, say Richmond after having that appalling 2016 or going back to Geelong when they had that appalling 2006 um, both coaches nearly getting the chop, but you know, in the in the context of a four five year period, it was a blip. You know, so maybe last year was St Kilda's blip, and what we're seeing now, and what we saw two years ago, is a more accurate representation of what they're capable of. 
There you go. It's a great point. All right. Anything Gold else? Coast. Yes. Get plenty of the footy, work hard, and they're the opposite to St Kilda. They've got to refine the science of ball entries. Now, I, haven't, I know they haven't got the other king. Yeah. They're getting reasonable service out of um, Scholl and Casbolt. But for, they won the inside 50s on the weekend against St Kilda, 56 to 53, but only had 16 shots at goal at a miserable 36%. That is a, and that's consistent with them. So that, that's a very clear area. Their effort, they're improved. There was a great battle between King and Collins. Their back line's going well, and they're winning the footy, and they're hard-working team, but they're not refined in the front third of the ground. Oh, do you like their, and I know I keep harping on about this, but they do look to me this season to be a bit more mentally tough. Do you have that impression at least? Yep, yep. That's a stage they've gone through, and they've now taken They will give you a competitive game more often than not now. All right, well, what have these socks got on the agenda for round six? Uh, St Kilda, in fact, kicking off round six uh, with a uh, unusual Friday night game against the Giants in Canberra, uh, 7.50pm next Friday. And the Suns, as we said earlier, they have the Q clash against the Brisbane Lions, that one on Sunday, April the 24th. So that was the first of the Saturday games. The second one was over in Adelaide. Saturday Twilight saw at Adelaide Oval the Crows take on Richmond and it was a very well-deserved 19-point win to the Adelaide Crows. And uh, in the words of the immortal Mike Williamson, Rob, got to give you credit where it's due. Uh, I tipped this, you would be forgiven for saying, because you did tip the Crows and it was a good call. I tipped the Tigers. Adelaide, well, pretty close to knocking over Essendon last week in Melbourne, but uh, even better again this week. They led this game marginally for, uh, well, the vast duration of it, fully deserved the win. In the end, the scores 15-11-101, defeating Richmond 12-10-82. And again, the key forward targets firing. Taylor Walker, five goals. Aaron Himmelberg, four goals. McAdam, two goals. Singles, the rest. For the Tigers, two to Baker, two to Castagna, two to Lynch, two to Rewald. Singles, the rest. Unfortunately, some really bad news out of this for the Crows. Uh, that is the injury to Rory Sloan. Looks like the full catastrophe and, uh, well, gee, will we see him again? Let's hope so, um, because he's been a real warrior for the Crows. But uh, that's the sour note uh, and a sour postscript to the performance. But they were terrific. Rob, Ben mm. Keyes, 31 disposals. Oh. Rory Laird, 26 disposals. Matt Crouch, 26. They won the midfield battle, no doubt. And off halfback, Brody Smith, he had 28. Tom Duday had 22. Richmond actually uh, hit the front with a, a real vintage Tiger burst, didn't they, after the Crows had uh, got the best part of well, four and a bit goals up. But really steadied well the Crows in the finish and um, got the chocolates deservedly with uh, a strong last quarter after holding a 14-point buffer at three-quarter time. What'd you make of this? Yeah, another one of those momentum changes, wasn't it? that we see all so often now in uh, in all games with the Tigers hitting the lead. 
Let's start at the business end, Rowan. You've already touched on it, the Himmelberg and Walker combination again. Uh, Himmelberg is, continues to really blossom as a key forward, big, tall, and kicks a nice goal too. Walker's, um, I guess Walker is um, paying back the industry in some sort of way, I guess, and um, he's doing it with a minimum of fuss and a lot of class and playing very well. Keys, you know, coming from Brisbane, he had four score involvements early in the game. So he, he was on fire. And and the thing that Richmond has made public and uh, Hardwick conceded, Richmond conceded 10-5, what's that, 10-65 from stoppages, directly from stoppages, straight out of the clearance, bang, into the forward line, into Himmelberg. So that's a real issue because um, they were decimated in that midfield when we thought that Bolton and uh, Cochin, and particularly Bolton, might have an edging class in there. But it didn't work that way at all. Well, um, just confirming too, Rory Sloan, that has been confirmed. Yeah. Definitely an anterior cruciate ligament. So uh, very sadly, he will miss can I, the Can rest I just of the say, season. he's not the player we... He was. He was. Mm -hmm. But with this young team, how much are they going to miss him? No, absolutely. Like he's just a little bit of on ball, a little bit on the bench, throw him up forward, just some really tough acts. Um, they're not going to miss his football. They're going to miss his presence. And his presence is something really important to that team. No, really, really good call. Yeah, just interested in your thoughts on this. And I sort of touched on this in talking about Brody Smith and, and Duday, but uh, Jordan Dawson too, been a, oh. already proving a fantastic pickup for him. But is that the big improvement in the Crows this year? They're just the amount of extra run and, and uh, drive that they're generating out of their defence now, that half-back line in particular? Well, we make this point several times about several clubs that you've got to, when you're down the bottom, you've got to have a point of difference. Or, or, or yeah, let's call it a point of difference. And last year for Knicks... They, they were pretty good. They were mid-range as a defensive team, mm. mid-range. Mm. So what he built through good luck or good management, let's say good management, he built a framework to build on. And now with Laird coming back into the side from that injury, Brody Smith appears to be returning to that player, and I might be underestimating him, he's returning to that player of several years ago that was that good, Rowan, that he had to be tagged off halfback. So now they've got the, the ability, and with Walker coming back, the emerging young forwards and some exciting young, now they've got the ability to build on that base in a more attacking way. They have been disappointing in a couple of games because of slow ball movement. Um, and, also, and, and that was evident last week against Essendon. But when they have a go at it, when they have a crack at it, and when they rebound... They're, they're a very, very damaging young side. Yeah, look, it's um, good to watch too. And I'm, I'm enjoying their development. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but it's been gradual. I mean, three wins in that first year under Nick, seven wins last year. Uh, I reckon they can they can potentially improve on that by one or one or two. And that's the sort of... What are they now, mate? Two? Three? Uh, you've always put me on the spot like this. Oh, two. Sorry. I think now two, three. We're going to have the ladder in front of us. Yeah, no, it's there. It's there. Two, three. Um, yeah, okay. so look, it, it's not beyond the realms. But even if they don't, I think you can see that development continuing, can't you? And you can see the younger players 
who are part of the lineup really starting to 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 grow in terms of what they can. I mean, Himmelberg's a good example. Um, you know, I think the the forward line looks more uh, potent as a result of of his improvement, and obviously Walker being back as well. Um, you know, Schonberg, etc. You know, they've got some really good young players, and they're continuing to get games. Gallant, you know, he Gallant, didn't, yeah, he didn't have boy. a big game, but um, he didn't need to, Rowan. Yeah, no, look, and they're they're going yeah. along pretty well, the Crows. I reckon if you're an Adelaide supporter, uh, you know, given what they were coming from, you'd be pretty happy with how they'd gone so far. What about we need to talk about Richmond because a lot of people, including me. Uh, were very confident the Tigers were going to hit back and hit back really hard this season. Not seeing it. And I'm just starting to wonder, well, two things. Okay, obviously still with our key players, the name Martin leaping to mind there, but others are starting to come back. But it's like, are they coming back anywhere near the same players that we we associate with those premierships? I wonder. Uh, they're getting on a little bit. And like we've talked about extensively, and it's a, it's it's a you become a victim of success. You know, good fringe players have left to pursue opportunities elsewhere, and that's meant the kids that have been thrown in have been probably less prepared than the previous kids that got thrown in. And I'm not sure they're quite as capable, and they look a much lesser side for it. And the emphasis goes straight on to that uh, wonderful player Noah Bolter, who actually played in three positions on the weekend. They needed him up forward. They moved him into the ruck, and with Tarrant and Miller being exposed on the last line by Himmelberg and Walker, they needed him down back. So there's a classic example of not only how good this bloke is and how versatile, but how Richmond um, need him to cover some major deficiencies in the side, which is deep back, an extra additional rucking support, on-ball, mobile, and also a, a, a towering present up forward? Well, I mean, when he, he's still a relatively young player, isn't he? I mean, you, the thought of Richmond having to do that, you know, even, say, three years ago, that wouldn't have been the case, would it? I mean, it sort of underlines what I'm saying about their oh, Well, he developed as a, a, a third defender, didn't he? A yeah. fullback. Yeah, but just and, having to having to yeah. throw him around as a Mr. Fixer no, type, you know. You're you right. Yeah, you don't want to have to do that. So you know they're in an interesting position, uh, the Tigers. They're 11th on the ladder. The Crows are 13th, both uh, two and three for what it's worth. And uh, next week, well, it doesn't get a lot easier for Richmond. Uh, they Melbourne. Have, they've got Melbourne and the Anzac Day Eve clash on the Sunday evening. As wow. for the Crows, well, they kick off the round. No, they don't, sorry. They've got the first <laughs> game on Saturday up at Ballarat at Mars Stadium against the Western Bulldogs. So that'll be a good test mm. for their development as well. That was the second of the Saturday games. Uh, there was one more, and that was on a Saturday evening at the MCG. Saturday evening at the MCG saw defending Premier, the unbeaten Melbourne, up against Greater Western Sydney. And nothing too great about this performance by the Giants, but I don't know if that was even a reflection on them as much as a reflection on the absolute dominance of Melbourne. Boy, are they playing some scintillating football. This was a crushing win by 67 points in the end. 19-6, got the accuracy happening too. 120, defeating GWS 7-11. 
53. The goals, four to Bailey Fritch, three to Pickett, two to Gorn, two to Petrarca. For GWS, two to Hill. Singles, the rest. It was four goals to Zip at quarter time. Uh, about a two and a bit goal margin at halftime. But the explosion and shades of last year's grand final and this third term explosion, Rob, 10-2. The Demons slammed on him a third term to 2-2. All over, she wrote, 10 goals. Eight of those goals, Rob, came from just 13 inside 50s. I've never seen a side capable of slamming on a burst of goals as quickly as these demons. Amazing. Yes, uh, you have. Bombers? 2000? They're pretty from, They're pretty similar. Yeah, it okay. was more a brutal game in those days, as you I, know. Yeah. But, but I remember so many games when, like GWS, let's not talk about Essen, but the theme's the same. GWS were hanging in. They were 19 points down. And... And then 17 disposals, five minutes and four goals later, they look at the scoreboard and go, we're seven goals down. Yeah. And and it happens. And that's how I remember that great Essendon side playing a similar way. The capacity to put on four or five and change the whole complexion of the game. Like, it was awesome. Well, the, yeah. other, the, the other similarity here is uh, the dominance. Because at the moment, um, I wouldn't say it's daylight, but gee, there, there's a fair way back to the the second best team right at this stage of the season. I would have thought the all the usual suspects there: Christian Petrarca, 29 disposals and two goals, 31 to Oliver. Our boy Ed Langdon, who we talked about uh, when we were talking about wingman, he had 24, uh, four goals to Fridge. What about Stephen May down back? 24 well, disposals I, yeah. to him. Yeah, go on. Look, he's a paid-up member of the full-back club. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, he's he pushing for life membership soon. Um, 24 possessions. I know 14 of them were in open play. 10 were from kickouts. He had five score involvements, six marks, five tackles. He went at 92% disposal efficiency, and he had eight intercept possessions. Wow. The worrying thing is, Rowan, and I... Was that Petty's first game from injury? I'm pretty sure it was his first game. And, back, yeah. and Lever. I reckon that's the first game the uh, the three of them been back together. Yeah. So they're going to get a whole lot better. They still haven't got Christian Salem and Michael Libert, even though Jaden Hunt's doing a magnificent job on one half-back flank. But it, to me, it was all about precision ball movement and running to space. They just go hard. When they get the ball, their angle running, they... they you know, in the first quarter, they had eight inside 50s and got four shots off at goal, whereas GWS had 14 inside 50s battling their backside off and kicked three behinds. Yeah, it's interesting uh, too because there's been moments this season I've looked at GWS and thought, you know, their, their forward line has seemed uh, to be going okay for efficiency, but compared to Melbourne, um, it, it's just that it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? I just, yeah. just quickly, I just want to tell you something about Stephen May. He's a ripping bloke, Stephen May. Um, and he's a proud defender of defenders. Uh, I was watching the Brisbane Collingwood game and, um, 
you know, they play a, a song after uh, players nominate songs that they play over the PA when they kick a goal. Do they? Yeah, yeah. And because I, <laughs> yeah. I think it was Calamachi kicked one and they started playing Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. So I said, oh, I wonder who, how that came about. Anyway, someone pointed it out to me. And then I asked the obvious question, do they even bother asking the fullbacks um, to nominate a song? And then about two minutes later, Marcus Adams, of course, kicked his first goal yeah. of a season. I got a tweet from Stephen May saying, that aged well, brother. So, <laughs> did he really? He did, yeah. He's a, he's a lovely guy, Stephen May, and uh, deserves all the success he had. I wanted to run this one by Rob. I looked at I went looking um, after the game because I remember after their good performance in 2018, in 2019, Melbourne had an abysmal season. But one of their issues was, they were generating plenty of uh, forward entry. So we're ranked uh, fourth for inside 50s in 2019, but a distant last for goals from inside 50s, converting yeah. at just 18.8%. So when you look at the improvement in Melbourne, you know, much of the personnel is the same. Clearly, they're, uh, you know, the, the, the way they play has been tweaked. But I'd always like to hear more about exactly what they have done specifically to change. So, to change. And and there's something about that delivery into the forward 50, which is so much better. Well, I'm going to go with um, two words, Mark Williams. Yeah, okay. All right. That's just a gut feel. Mm. That's changed. That's a significant change. Yeah. He's all about skill, development, kicking, spends a lot of time with them. Um but that goes hand in hand how they set up their forward line. I'm not. Uh, they moved McDonald from fullback to traditional centre half forward, haven't they? Yeah. They got Brown. They got Fritch playing that third. Like he's a difficult matchup, and then and, the and, small. And, yeah, and Jackson going forward, and oh, well, yeah. Wiedemann if they want him. So that that might be that's a good explanation actually, because in 2018 when they played well. They were getting a lot of goals from those medium-sized forwards, the likes of Jake Melksham, weren't they? They're getting them from more traditional key forward types as well as yep. the ground-level players now, aren't they, like Pickett? Yep. Um, well, the game was about precision kicking versus intercept turnovers. They just kept being intercepted. That's that's a trademark of Melbourne's, and they really turned it on against the West Coast. Um, not the West Coast, um, GWS. They got plus 65 points from intercepting GWS forward movements. They're a great, it's, it's, in, yeah, they're a great uh, intercept team. So half of that was GWS's fault, bad decisions, bad kicks, but you've got to give a lot of credit to Melbourne too. Just a, a quick one. We've got two finalists of last year stuck in the bottom five of the ladder, both with one full records. One is Essendon. The other one, though, is GWS. Um, again, we seem to say it every week, but you cannot get over just how costly that suspension to Toby Green was. Because it's cost them not only the finals campaign last year, I reckon it's cost them this season. We're about to find out, aren't we, this week? Well, think, a yeah. good test from this week. They've got uh, St Kilda. Yeah, no, is Green back? Uh, no, he's still got... Oh, yeah, sorry, he is. Yeah, he got six. one yeah, and got, five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's back this week. And who do they play, right? They've that got St Kilda in Canberra on Friday evening. Well, I can't answer that question. But it's season on the line stuff for him. You'd agree with that, right? Yeah, well, there's um, half a dozen in that, that ballpark now. There there's is. No doubt about, yeah, it'll be really good to watch him play and to watch them respond. 
All right, uh, Melbourne, as we mentioned earlier, they have got the big Anzac Day Eve clash against Richmond at the MCG, 7.25pm on the Sunday evening. That was the Saturday program. Two games on the Sunday. Let's have a chat about them. First game on Sunday was at the MCG between Carlton and Port Adelaide. Port, of course, winless. After appearing in a preliminary final last year, Carlton uh, suffering their first loss of the season last week up on the Gold Coast. Could they respond? Well, they did. And they did it emphatically for a half. But boy, did they get a fright because the Blues had at one stage a 50-point lead and uh, almost surrendered it. The victory margin in the end, just three points, 14-10-94, the Blues to Port Adelaide, 13-13-91. The Twin Towers, Kerno Mackay, they did it again. Five to Kerno, three to Mackay, two to Martin, two to Fisher. The other singles for Port, three to Robbie Gray, two to Georgiades, two to Burton, two to Pal Pepper. Singles, the rest. Well, credit where it's due, Rob. Uh, well, firstly to Carlton because it was a scintillating first half and they looked much too good. Sam Walsh, in fact, 16 disposals in the first quarter alone. He ended up with 38 disposals. Uh, the two imports rose to the occasion as well. 33 to George Hewitt, 32 to Adam Chera. So certainly lifting to cover the absence of captain Patrick Cripps. But in the second half, Ports midfield hit back and uh, some particularly good players for them. Butters ended up with 32 disposals. Connor Rosie, 24 disposals for him and seemingly from nowhere port inch by inch started to claw their way back into the game that comeback lasted the entire second half and in fact ended up nine goals to the pair in the second half to just two for the blues they had a half chance Carl Amon had a set shot from admittedly outside the 50 meter arc with about a minute left on the clock uh it fell short uh, Carlton were able to uh Rebound from the goal face and Harry Mackay took, uh, I guess you could call the match-saving mark deep in defence. So close shave, but overall, you'd say a deserved win to the Blues. Entertaining game, however. Oh, there's no doubt about that. It was um, it was a brilliant performance by Carlton early, uh, obviously led by the on-ball on division. And once again, we have a team that has got two towering forwards and it'll be very interesting to go through the clubs right we've got cart I, I think these clubs with the two big forwards traditional big forwards are going to finish very strongly in september and that'll include carton on the back of Kerno and Mackay if they get crips back and he has a good solid year without injury because the recruiting of chera and hewitt have been fantastic and uh, they just dominated with their run. There was no interest at all, Rowan. You didn't say. There was zero interest in all. There was no motivation from Port Adelaide. No interest to compete. Walsh just wandered around by himself. 16 possessions in the first quarter. Um, the efficiency was 73% to 36. And the other thing that Carlton did, um, they really did a number on Alir Alir. We've got a, a mental picture of Alir Alir playing centre-half back and that interceptor across that zone. Well, they didn't push up the ground and let him just drop. They made him defend. 
and he was really exposed. A bit like what um, what they did to Tarrant at, at Richmond, what uh, Walker and Himmelberg did. So some really good tactical work from Carlton. And then it slowly changed. Um, they were down 25 contested possessions at one side, Port Adelaide. It was the most non-competitive performance by a team uh, this year. There's no doubt about it. And it makes you wonder why. They dropped to Conning Carlton. I think they had a plan to just run and gun them. Because Port Adelaide can't control sides that run off half-back. Saad, Williams, these blokes were just devastating with their run. And they dropped to Conning so they could play Silvani as a second ruckman. So that gave them the extra running player. Um, and while all this was going on, the sole bloke getting the ball um, early on, compared to Walsh's 16, was both with five possessions. Like, it, it, was a, it was a mountainous performance by Carlton. And then it changed. Walsh only got six in the second. Ken Hintley decided, OK, we've discussed it time and time again. Carl Amon, on to Walsh. Dead set, one-on-one -on -one tag, cut him from 16 to 6. I know he finished with uh, a score in the 30s, but that's that's a 66% cut in his efficiency, his work rate and his output. Just by making one subtle change, put a bloke on Walsh. I've got to say, I look at this and, and you know, credit to Port for retrieving it from that position because the bottom could have absolutely fallen out of it, but... The bottom line is that they are 0-5. Their finals hopes are completely shot to ribbons. I'm going to be really interested to see how they go, particularly next week after this second half today. Does that become the motivation for them to go, okay, we're, the, the mojo's back. We're, we're going to at least give the, our opponents for the rest of this season a bit of a scare? Or will they now sort of go, well, 0-5, we're shot and the bottom will fall out of it. What, what do you think might happen? Um, he's bullish. I watched his press conference. He yeah. said, we've been 5-0 in the past, and we've lost five in a row. Yeah. He said, does it matter where you lose your five in a row, providing you pick up the wins later on? Um, he was quite emphatic still. Yeah, um, okay. But... You know, the numbers didn't add up. Well, they did after a while. In the first half, I just want to go on with these stats again. Um, Carlton had 66 marks in the first half. They only had 16 in the in the third quarter. So what he did was he put Rose in the middle. He closed down their space. He tagged Walsh and he made it a physical contest and um, 17 points down at three-quarter time. Mm. He's back in the game. Um, and you might say, look, I'm guilty of it. We always react when we're getting our pants pulled down. I wonder why we don't make these moves at the start. You know, why wasn't Rosé in the centre, Rosie in the centre? Why wasn't Amon on Walsh from the word go, bang, and we're, and we're into it? We never do it, Ro. We wait till we're 50 points down and end up getting beaten by a goal. I'm sorry, I, I like your pronunciation of Rosé, Rosé. Um, but, but surely if we're going to call him Rosé, he's got to be playing alongside Wines, doesn't sorry, he? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I like, that. I like that. Sorry, stupid, stupid old man pun, a dad pun <laughs> from me. And uh, just in terms of... 
nine, nine after half time. What's uh, in terms of what's on the agenda next week? Port Adelaide have West Coast at home, so it's a game which really they should be winning. Uh, and as for the Blues, whoa, big test for them. They have got Fremantle over in Perth on the Saturday evening. Fremantle, remember the new improved Fremantle, now second on the ladder after a terrific win, which we're going to talk about right now. And not the final game of round five, but the final game of the weekend, if you like. Uh, one more to be played Monday, Geelong v Hawthorne. It was Essendon Fremantle at Marvel Stadium. And after uh, three narrow misses against the Bombers in three their three most recent trips to Marvel, seven, seven and six, the margins in those three. Well, you could say they broke through emphatically a 48-point win to the Dockers, 16-11, to Essendon, 8-11, The goals, he was outstanding. And he's done it a couple of times against Essendon. I like this guy. He's, he's solid. Matt Taberner, seven goals to Taberner, two each to Banfield, Darcy, Frederick, and Switkowski. For the Bombers, two to Martin, two to Waterman. Singles the rest. Well, the damage really done in the third quarter in this game, Rob. Uh, just three points the difference at half time. But Essendon scoreless in the third term, whilst the Dockers slammed on six goals. Six. In fact, they did it in a hurry. They kicked five goals of those six in a nine minute period. Three of them to Tabena as a bit of a procession out of the middle. Andrew Brayshaw, terrific. Um, for the visitors. Will Brody proving his uh, worth as a recruit for them as well. He was really good. Sarong, really good. Darcy, uh, very good in the ruck. And Jordan Clark, he's having an impact for them as well. It was one-way traffic, really, after halftime. Uh, Freo, dominant and contested ball. Marks inside 50, 14. Healthy tally to eight. And they won the, I thought this was significant, despite winning uh, a greater share of the ball and the game, they also won the tackle count, 49 to 37. Brayshaw, 34 disposals, Sarong, 30. Brody, 26 for Essendon. Dyson Heppel, a bit of a warrior performance from the skipper off halfback. He was good. Darcy Parrish, the most damaging of the Essendon ball winners, 33. Uh, Jay Kelly. Uh, pretty strong all day in defence with 26. But, Rob, they lost Andrew. They went in with the two, two Ruckman, lost Andrew Phillips very early in the piece with a hamstring. That exposed Sam Draper to the uh, dual attack, if you like, of Darcy and Lobb. They certainly had the better of him. But I just thought they, they were sharper and more precise all day, which is not something you've often said about Fremantle, but even at half time with only a three point difference, I thought Giesnan is lucky to be this close. And it was really underlined in that second half 10 goals to just three in the second half. Look, we don't, again, we say this every week, not going to make it the Essendon show because Freo deserve a heap of, of credit. But the Bombers, their list isn't good enough, Rob. It's not deep enough. It's certainly not deep enough midfield to be able to withstand the losses of merit. Langford and Stringer. Uh, although, as you as we've said, you know, St Kilda have had a stack of injuries. Richmond, we've seen in recent years, have a stack of injuries. You have to have enough depth to be able to withstand that. Essendon hasn't. Uh, Peter Wright, 
incredibly well held up forward. And that just left them without a target up forward. They had nothing up forward, the Bombers, apart from the height of right. And yeah. uh, thus approved. It uh, was extraordinary either end of the ground, one full forward kick seven and uh, um, the hope of the Essendon side, Peter Wright, he's been pumped up. But I tell you what, he still needs, um, and I know Phillips and um, and Draper aren't noted goalkeepers, the goal kickers, but they can take an opponent out of the way. And while Alex Pierce was one of the best players on the ground with a stunning performance at fullback, he did get great assistance. They worked so well at um, intercepting right, coming over the top, whereas the Essendon, uh, on the other end of the screen, the, the open play that was allowed to go to Draper and give him uh, go to um, Tabernacle and give him open looks has been concerning now for some time. The inability to defend the ground and give their defence, which is undermanned slightly, despite the fact that it's, it, it won rave reviews last year. You know, it's it's basically the same. They supposedly improved the defence with the um, recruitment of of um, uh, Kelly. So um, they were exposed again on the transition. I'm not sure they put enough work into Brayshaw. And there were two things like, you know, Twitter's a funny place. And people were, people all during the week were saying, oh, Mark Taverner down for four. And who's going to play on Brayshaw? Why do these things work out the way um, people know they're going to come to fruition, Rowan? It's quite mm. extraordinary. Mm. He's kicked seven goals. And everyone knew he was going to be a real issue. So uh, the Dockers, I must say, you know, with all due respect, they don't strike me as a second on the ladder team at you this stage. You watch them live, I didn't. Yeah. Because I went to the other ground. Look, they're, what's they're, your observation on them? They are, they're getting better. I, I thought that they certainly were the superior team in terms of efficiency and, and ball use today. I've seen them other times this season and thought, yeah, they're still a bit sloppy and a bit error prone and the conversion can still be a worry. But, you know, it, it's building and you, you can't argue with the scoreline. I guess you can argue, can't you? It's a, a vote of confidence in a team and it's, it's not playing necessarily that well at times, but still manufacturing a win. But don't get me wrong, today they uh, they played a lot better than their opponent and really, as I said, should have been a fair bit further ahead at halftime. Uh, quick word on the Bombers, how much well, trouble are they it's, it's not about personnel. It's about the system. We hear, we've heard it. We've heard it for years. System and process. We want to know what it is. When do you use it? Essening get touched up for quick bursts of momentum. They have scores kicked against them quickly and they can't adjust quickly enough. Um, their, their midfield is probably one of the easiest midfields to play against, which raises the old chestnut of mine that, uh, okay, Langford's not there to do a job, and they are light on. They gave young Hobbs a go. Did they put him into the centre bounce enough? They put him in there three or four times. I would, would have liked them to see a little bit more adventurous put these kids in. Perkins didn't go into the centre bounce. So there's got to be some assistance given by the coaches to encourage, you know, at the moment it's Parrish, Shield, McGrath. That's it. And that's going to fall short until Merritt and Langford come back. 
Well, troubled times for the Bombers finalist of last year, now a perilous 1-4 and uh, already looking, uh, you'd say, unlikely to make the finals and a massive uh, test for them this week. Not so much the opponent, or the opponent is going all right, but the occasion. It is, of course, the big annual Anzac Day game that will be on the Monday afternoon, Essen against Collingwood, 3.20pm, and the Dockers, Good test for them too at Optus Stadium on Saturday evening up against Carlton. Well, that is eight of the nine games in round five played. The ninth, of course, the epic annual uh, Geelong Hawthorne Easter Monday game. Looking forward to that. And we will bring you a comprehensive wrap of that game in our midweek episode. Uh, this Proudcast Proudcast. <laughs> my go. This podcast always proudly brought to you. It's been by, a long day. Has been a long day. <laughs> proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle busting benefits all AFL season thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. You can support the Footyology podcast at the supporter platform wherever you listen to this Acast podcast or become a Footyology patron via the many links to Patreon on the Footyology website. $7 Australian per month makes you an official Footyology patron and help ensure that we can keep this little media operation thriving and chugging along doing what we best do best, which is uh, give you incisive analysis of AFL football. Uh, thanks for giving up some of your Easter, Rob, to no get worries. on board and do this podcast. And uh, we'll catch up again in the middle of the week. See you Wednesday. See you then. See you then.